it's the Creator Spaces Show. Welcome back to the Creator Spaces Show. And today, we're talking about creating evergreen content for Twitter with Luke Cannon. This conversation highlights different ways to determine which of your content is evergreen and also balancing full-time work with creative projects. Without further ado, let's jump right in. Do you consider do yourself a creator? So I think like in the broad sense of the term, how most people use the term creator for sure. So I've been creating on LinkedIn for four years now, Twitter more recently, and then have a SaaS side project that is pre-launch. Interestingly, I have a problem with the term creator though, because I think creator implies making something from scratch without kind of any resources. I think like creation in the religious sense as of creating from nothing. So I think maker is probably a more appropriate term. Dig in on that yeah. distinction for me maker probably has more implications of building software products whereas creator probably brings up the idea of creating contents on social media which is probably as close to creating from nothing as you can because it's just the ideas in your head but yeah they both are somewhat interchangeable okay and so you're making timeless which was originally birdie bots and you built the Perel bot as well yeah and the Perel bot i think is really funny because it has almost twice your follower count yeah <laughs> most people don't know that I built it, but it serves as social proof. So I have it in my Twitter bio now because by chance, if one of those 3,000 people sees it and goes to my profile, and maybe I get a follow. But it's actually a funny story about how everything started because at the time I built the Prell bot, this was about a year ago now. I built it just to get David Prell's attention because I was a huge fan of his at the time and I was brushing up on my Python skills. And so I built this quickly on a weekend after getting laid off from my job. It got some traction. David noticed it. And then all these people started reaching out asking how they could build their own bots for their own favorite people. And so that's where the idea for Birdie Bots came. It was a tool that would let people make their own bots for their favorite people on Twitter. Yeah, and um, I wanted that use case has gone by the wayside, as I understand it, in order to build Timeless, which is a very interesting concept. Yes and no. I think what we realized was that the bigger market initially was for people who just wanted to recycle evergreen content like the Perel bot is doing, but instead of on a bot account, on their own account. But I do think that the bot market is probably less served because right now the only way to do it is to have your own script that you're running. So we're currently beta testing with the first use case of recycling your own evergreen content on your account. And once we launch, I think it'll be pretty quick when we're able to offer the second one as well. The stories of almost every guest we've brought to our podcast teach us that execution not only nurtures an idea, but also determines the viability to attain success. You're doing yourself a disservice every time you allow an idea to sit in your head and vanish. Now, back to the matter at hand. So I'm curious about the reposting of evergreen tweets. What makes a tweet worth reposting? So I think it's this quality of just timelessness, which is where, of course, our name came from. So if you are if you tweet something that's time-bound, linked to an event, a reaction to something political, none of that is useful in the future. But I think what is useful are timeless principles around business or life. And we have a few ways that we are determining which content is evergreen and gets reposted. So some of it is just based on the engagement. So the more engagement a tweet gets, Sometimes it could be time-bound, but I think oftentimes the tweets that get a ton of engagement are more timeless principles. And then we also end up creating a feed of all your best tweets, and then you get to like manually select or deselect any tweets that you don't want tweeted. So there, there's a manual process to it as well, and then it starts with just a simple algorithm. Nice. I've working on the side with somebody to develop a bit of a Twitter ghostwriter for myself that mixes my tweets and a few of the top performing accounts that I want to target their followings of. And we've determined that we consider a top performing tweet for our accounts to be greater than 0.5% of their audience liking it. Okay, interesting. Uh, 
So I'm wondering if you're using any similar metrics like that. So we're using like a relative algorithm. So in a given time period, it will take the top 20% of your tweets. I think honestly, it probably averages out to be about that 0.5% level. Awesome. I think there really is an engagement range where Twitter, if you maintain this percent of engagement with a tweet, will continue to promote it. And I think there's a few different orders of magnitude that Twitter will put a viral tweet through to see how relevant it is as it goes to wider and wider audiences. Yeah. And I'm not like an expert on the stuff, but I think it's interesting because some people will say if a tweet has more than a 25% engagement level in the first hour, it's more likely to go viral. But the ironic thing is that as a tweet goes viral, it ends up reaching audiences who are less relevant to you. And then that engagement rate drops. So viral tweets will often have a super low engagement rate when it's all said and done, even though they started out with a high engagement rate at the start. Yeah, I've monitored a few of mine. So I know it does do order of magnitude for reach. So it will 10x the reach. And there's if you look through like your high performing tweets, you'll probably be able to see five or 10x as sort of these walls that you have to break through. And yeah, mine, interesting. A viral tweet stops at about 15,000. Once it reaches that range, it's got a wide enough outside my core target that the relevance drops it out of in the engagement loop. Because initially they have to maintain 10 to 15% to keep breaking barriers. And then it drops down to five to 10%. And then after that, my tweets normally die. To circle this back around timeless, when it comes to evergreen tweets, are you then retweeting or is it a new tweet? So it's a completely new tweet. A retweet of your own content, in my experience, is doesn't have the same effect as a completely new tweet. Just as you retweeting someone else's tweet wouldn't get as much read as it reaches if you just tweeted the exact same text of their tweet for them. And so the idea is that by creating a new tweet, you're like resetting that start time. And these are often also tweets that you may have tweeted a month, six months ago. And I think there's a lot of other benefits to this too beyond just resurfacing some of your old content. So for example, if you're tweeting something that was from six months ago, you might rediscover an idea that was going through your head at the time that then leads to other content ideas that you can now go and create right now, or it reminds you of your way of thinking at this point and kind of sparks other ideas. I think also if you are, let's say, selling products or info products or SaaS, whatever it is, there's probably some kind of idea or ideology that's at the heart of it. So for example, if you're like Sahil at Gumroad, something that's like driving his business is the idea that creators can create and make a living online. And so the more he's able to inculcate that ideology in his followers, right, then Gumroad will see payoffs, hopefully. And so I think like by resurfacing those ideas, you can see the same thing with your own audience. You don't necessarily have to create content every day. You just have to work on getting the best content you already have in the hands of more people. That's where Luke's recycling techniques come in handy. I'm interested, how are you building your audience now? Yeah, so I, I started on LinkedIn when I was in college. It was just a place that I could share ideas and communicate with people outside my immediate bubble. And then last spring, I got laid off and had a ton of time. And so I basically committed to post every day on LinkedIn. I was like, I can just take this seriously. This is fun. Let's just see what happens if I give my all. And yeah, that's how it's been on LinkedIn until now. I think I've maybe 4X'd my follower count since then, add two to three really viral posts. But a lot of it is just, I I like posting and creating content about stuff I'm interested in. So on LinkedIn, I think it's easy to get the likes if you post about career development, resume tips, stuff like that. But honestly, that's not the audience I'm trying to build. And so in the last year, I've made an intentional shift to Twitter, but then also just to keep posting about the stuff that interests me and less so the stuff that's kind of get the engagement. I think the flywheel, I'd say LinkedIn and Twitter are still both top of funnel. Then I have a newsletter, which is less regular than it used to be, probably about once a month 
month now. And it's basically me riffing on kind of a business idea I have and how I would market and launch. Yeah. Uh, so that's been fun. The newsletter is, I'd say more middle of funnel because people just discover it from Twitter and LinkedIn. Yeah. But I also don't have a product I'm selling at the end of it or anything. So it's not like it's, uh, not yet. you know, in a funnel. Timeless is coming and it will be monetized. And it will be monetized. So we will have a free plan, which I think is something that a lot of other similar Twitter tools don't have. I think there's a huge need for free plans because you're still providing them a service, right? Like they might discover customers through you. So I think more businesses should discover a free plan, but it's just about figuring out where the limits are in terms of use and features and stuff to make it reasonable. You can start building your audience by working out the middle ground between finding what you're interested in creating and doing so in a format that works for the platform you choose. You'll know you found it when your growth on the platform is attracting your target audience. But if the platform is not syncing well with your funnel, feel free to jump ship, just as Luke switched his focus from LinkedIn to Twitter. How are you monetizing now? So I'm not actually monetizing any of my creations right now. So I had a day job. I was working as a data analyst at a startup here in Chicago. I actually quit that job about a month ago. Um, currently in the job search, have a couple offers, but haven't landed on anything yet. And so that's where the income's coming from, which lets me create more freely. Yeah, I think long-term, all about financial independence and being able to build and experiment with stuff I like. That's a huge limiter right now for me being able to pursue a project seriously enough, not have to worry about income. So we'll see. I'm interested. But Timeless, yeah. Do you think you're going to keep having jobs? And the reason I ask is because quite possibly the most successful of all the creator makers I've had on the show was yesterday, Mubs. And he specifically kept a full-time job all the way up until he was forced to take over and work for one of his creations, Founder Path. Yeah. So I think we underestimate how hard it is to quit a job once you have it, that the stable income and stuff until like a side project is creating as much like income as your salary is. I think it's really hard to quit. Yeah. But I think part of it too, is that a lot of times personally, I didn't really like some of the places I've worked. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. I think part of it is that I like being able to influence kind of more, more areas of the business and have a little bit more ownership. And obviously that you only really get true ownership unless you literally have ownership of the company. But I think a lot of makers and creators and stuff would be a lot more comfortable keeping their day jobs if they were part of a small team where they could own one really core part of the business and have a lot of upside there. So I think upside is probably one of the biggest drivers for creators wanting to create. Relying solely on a day job to fulfill your ambitions and keep you mentally stimulated is risky business. On the other hand, balancing full-time work and creative side projects is not easy and a lot of sacrifices need to be made. The speed of success is limited by your dedication and willingness to sacrifice, but it's not supposed to cost you your sanity. Patience is a virtue. What's your North Star metric for success? Freedom seems like a big part of it. Yeah, I think it's just working on stuff I enjoy, honestly. And that comes down to freedom because I can't do that if I'm forced to work elsewhere. Like I think, for example, I'm at the point where if I'm in a job that I hate, I could quit it. I'm not wealthy, but I have a little bit saved so that I can quit any job and not have to get a job in the next month or so. What's your current goal as a creator? So I see followers can be a vanity metric, but I think it is a good metric for how I'm doing. I want to build a big audience. I think it's going to help whatever I do in the future, whether that's timeless or something else it's like a fail safe too because even if timeless fails if i've built my audience through it and attracted people by sharing about the process sharing kind of my ideas along the way then i haven't really lost i've gained something there but i have to keep reminding myself that it is only relevant to a point audiences are relative and my audience on linkedin is not very valuable for timeless it's a very different audience so yeah it's interesting it's, it's a good metric to look at but it's, it's not everything for me so what's the goal then yeah i think that a cool goal would be to build a business that reaches a million dollars in revenue 
revenue in the next five years. I think something I have to keep reminding myself is that I'm young, everyone has their own path, and that you don't get caught up in where someone else is at. You don't know much at all about their path. And as always, we wrap it all up by answering the question, if you could send a tweet back to your start, what would it be? And you get to choose the start. Interesting. Yeah, I think my start would probably be when I was in college and I started posting on LinkedIn. And my advice would be to myself to start on Twitter instead. I think if I had started on Twitter back then instead of LinkedIn, that's like an extra three, four years head start. The payoff would have been huge. LinkedIn is great, but it's you have to be careful of like who your audience is and how durable it is. Yeah, my advice would have just been to start on Twitter instead of LinkedIn. 